Shabbat Shalom. We are in a series on the gifts of the Spirit, and uh, this is number two in our series. We're going to talk about wisdom and faith. I want to remind everyone that as believers in Messiah, we are the recipients of gifts. God's a good giver. He loves to give gifts, and he gives gifts to his people. Not only does he give gifts, he encourages us, each of us, to ask him for gifts. And so it's incumbent upon us to study the word of God, discover the gifts of God, and ask him for gifts. Gifts that we need in our lives. Gifts that are important not only for us, but for those around us, for our families, for our businesses, for our nation. And, uh, and learning to move in those gifts in a way that brings blessing to all those around us. So let's uh, jump back into our text. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers all, or, or empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. That's our text that we're working from. It's not exhaustive. This is not a definitive list of gifts. There's many other gifts in addition to this, and you can find those in other places. But this is the text that we're working from. Last week, we talked about knowledge. And we discovered the definition of knowledge is basically facts and information revealed by the Spirit directly to the natural mind. That's the definition. A word of knowledge is when God gives you something in terms of knowledge, a set of facts that you didn't have outside of the leading of His Spirit, with outside uh, uh, His Spirit giving that to you. And that is normally given in order to help someone else. Gifts are given in order to help other people. So when you receive a gift and you unpack it, the design of that is to give it away to those that need it. So a word of knowledge, of course, is going to be information that someone might need. Um, to you, it might be meaningless. To them, it may mean everything. It could be the difference between life and death. So we saw that in King David and Bathsheba. And God sending Nathan the prophet to give him a word of knowledge. And boy, did that change things for the better, for the good, really. Because David, he was on a bad track, and it could have got a lot worse. This week, we're going to look at wisdom and faith. So let's start with the definition. If knowledge is facts and information revealed by the Spirit directly to the natural mind, then wisdom 
is the wise application of knowledge. So you might receive important information. The question is, do you and I know how to apply that? See, application's everything. If we don't know how to apply the knowledge, the knowledge in and of itself may not be of high impact. But if you know how to apply it, wow, that's when things get really interesting. So let's look at uh, wisdom in the life of King Solomon. After all, he's noteworthy in that he's the wisest man that's ever lived outside of Yeshua. This is the wisest man that ever lived. So here's a snapshot of King Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 3. 16 through 28. Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. It happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. She arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, He was not my son, whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, for the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, No, for the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. So think for a moment. If you were in King Solomon's shoes, how would you adjudicate this? Right? What questions would you ask these women in hopes of yielding any information that would determine which child belonged to which woman? Think about that. Two women alone in the house. There are no other witnesses. Really, there's no way to solve this when you think about it. The king, he takes a different path altogether. No questions, no cross-examination. Verse 24, the king said, give me a sword. So So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. What kind of wisdom is that, right? I mean, what? I'm just shocked thinking. We don't even think on that level, do we? We'd be thinking of questions that we're going to ask these ladies. Yeah, the king, totally different approach. He's going to kill the child, give half, to each mother. And it doesn't sound like wisdom at all, not on the surface. In fact, it looks like crazyville. But after a moment of silence, and in the presence of those who were poised with the sword in hand, and the baby being positioned for slaughter, 
Verse 26, the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, O my Lord, give her the living child, by no means kill him. But the other one said, he shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king said, give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. Think about that. He solved in minutes what was unsolvable. And how did he do that? How did he do that? God gave him that plan. God gave him the idea. It was, it was the wisdom of God from heaven entering the mind of so if we turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 20, 28, it states this. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. Why was Solomon such a wise man? Because Solomon had the gift of wisdom. Solomon knew how to receive wisdom from God, how to appeal to God, how to receive wisdom, and as a result became the wisest king in Israel, the wisest person outside of Yeshua that had ever lived. See, there's two types of wisdom. There's the wisdom that comes from heaven, and there's the wisdom that is earthly. A wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit, and a wisdom that comes from the spirit of this world. It's demonic, actually, when you think about it. King Solomon, he received from the Holy Spirit wisdom from heaven. Most people, most people operate in a very familiar earthly wisdom, a secular wisdom, if you will, from the realm of a fallen world, a world that's alienated from God and God's wisdom. In fact, the wisdom that they have is really from a crafty, malevolent serpent, the devil himself. In fact, speaking of earthly wisdom, the apostle uh, James states in chapter 3 and verse 15 of his letter, wisdom like this doesn't come down from heaven. It belongs to the earth. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the devil. See, see you're either operating in the wisdom that comes from heaven or the wisdom of this world, which in fact is a dark, misleading, misinforming set of wisdom or set of, set of uh, uh, knowledge and facts. So what are we going to do? What wisdom are we going to choose? Everyone's going to operate in one of these two realms, an earthly one that leads to falsehoods, deception, bondage, misery, and death, or the heavenly one that leads to truth. And when you and I embrace the truth, it leads us to life, to liberty, to happiness. Jesus put it this way in John 8, 31 through 32. He was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, his word being the wisdom of God, if you continue in my word, then you were truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. 
we need to be looking to God and His knowledge and wisdom for how we live our lives. You know, I'm not just satisfied being saved. Not me. I mean, I'm so glad I'm saved, but I'm not satisfied just being saved. I want to experience my salvation. I don't want to just have salvation by faith. I want to experience that salvation, right? Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. I want to experience that abundant life. I don't want to just have it by faith. I want to actually walk in it and experience an abundant life now. Not not in the age to come, now. I'm a now kind of person. I don't know about you. I want it now. And Jesus says, I came to give you life and to give it to you now, in the here and now. But that requires true knowledge and wisdom in every sphere of life. See, if we're going to be blessed in every sphere of life, then we've got to know the truth in every sphere of life. Because there's a wisdom out there that's false. And it will misinform you in every sphere of life. It will bring curses rather than the blessing. It'll diminish you and me. His design is to take us down and ruin us. So we need the true knowledge of God in every sphere of our life. First and foremost, who am I? Right? I mean, identity issues are everything. The world's so upside down, nobody knows who they are. They can't even figure out what their sex is, what their gender is. There's so much confusion. You got to know who you are. You got to go to God's word and say, who am I? What does it mean that I'm made in your image? Who are you? Because whoever you are, I am made to be like that. And when you and I discover what that is, that's part of what sets us free in life. Identity. See, knowing that I'm made in the image of God, that I'm a son of God, that I have the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh my gosh, that and that alone poises me for success in almost every realm. Man, it's the great starting place. You know, getting, getting with God and, and really finding out who you are as a person and why you are so loved as a person. Do you realize most of us are so jacked because we've never reconciled our birth and what that meant and God's love towards us. Man, those are big issues for us. We need the wisdom of God in relationship to that and the world that he's created. How do we navigate in our world? How are we responsible to what he's created? What is the meaning of life? What's my purpose, right? I mean, we're all individuals, but God made me and gave me a certain temperament, certain gifts and talents. You know, what am I made to do, Father? What, 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 you, what have you put in my heart to do in life? When you discover that and you begin to step into that, you experience success, purpose, meaning, happiness. But if you're not doing what God called you to do and called you to be, you're going to miss out on that. Sexuality and gender. What does God say about that? How about making a living? That's important. You know how to make a living. Life's hard. When you don't have any money, it's hard. God says, I've given you the power to make wealth. 
Yeah, we can learn how to make wealth. Yeah, God wants to give us wealth. Poverty is a curse. It's not a, it's not a virtue. It's a curse, okay? God wants us to prosper, and he has designed this world to serve us, to bow to us, if you will, so that we can make a living and become wealthy. How to build a family. I mean, how do you do that, right? How to marry and how to build a family. God has so much to say about that, and the world knows absolutely nothing. They're just destroying all of that. They're living in darkness and confusion, and they're missing out on all that God has given to them. How to govern a family. How to govern a community. How about how to govern a state and a nation? Some people are called to politics. That call is just as important as my call to lead a community of, of faith or to be a medical doctor, to be a lawyer, to be whatever it is God's called you to be. You do that. That's what's important. How to lead others into the knowledge and wisdom of God. How to share the love of God with others and lead them to Christ. That's the gospel, right? All of these things, all these areas of life, God has informed us in his word and has given us knowledge and understanding and wisdom so that we can step into that and experience that. We all should seek God diligently for wisdom. So one of the things we should be asking God about is this gift of wisdom. It is life-giving and liberating. Now, all the gifts are like seeds. Okay? You kind of get a seed, and you plant it, and you water it, and you nurture it, and it grows. It grows. That's why you can see some people operating at a certain level in, in the very same gift as maybe another person who operates in, in, in a much less, lesser way, but they both operate in that same gift. Well, one is maybe you know, cultivated that much longer, has a lot more experience, and that's why they operate at a higher level. The point I'm making is whatever gifts you have, you can grow those up. Whatever gifts you have, they can become super powerful as you learn to move in that gift by faith. You need to say, God, I need wisdom. And then grow that wisdom. You know, there, there are uh, some of us in this community who actually have the gift of wisdom. I just want to point out one. There's more than one, of course. Uh, but Pastor Josh, man, amazing gift of wisdom. I've known Josh for quite a while, and I've watched him grow in the Lord. And I'm just absolutely taken back as I look at what God's done in and through him and the wisdom that, that resides in him. I, I, I just sit back. I, I sit back a lot of times. I'm just astonished. I think, how, how did he come up with that? That's a great idea, you know? I mean, it's just wise, wise counsel. You know, he's a professional counselor as well. I mean, he has cultivated his gift. He ran with what God gave him, and he has raised it up inside of himself. And he is one of our professional staff, or is our professional uh, staff counselor as well. Uh, but he's helped many, many people in this congregation. You know, you go out in the world and get a counselor with, with his expertise and his um, experience, you're going to pay about 150 bucks an hour. 150 bucks an hour. Now, I know some of us in our community have benefited from Pastor Josh and his counseling. Yeah. You know how much that would cost? Please tally that up. Think of the hours that you've spent. Tally that up. 
because that's what it would have cost to get that somewhere else. I hope you appreciate and value that. I want to tell you something. Our community offers that to each of the members. We want to help people, and that's one of the ways that we help people is through counseling. So take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. You know, I'd go to, I'd go to Josh myself. He's such a fantastic counselor. I would. I would go, but he's my son-in-law. I don't want him to know all my stuff. He has a high view of me. Why ruin that, right? He's, he's an amazing counselor, and I thank God for him, and our, our congregation uh, has benefited greatly. And we have other people in our, our community, of course, that have that same gift of wisdom, but it's in a different area than counseling. You know, it may be in, in different... I think of uh, uh, Elder Randy. He, he's a medical doctor, and I'll tell you what, uh, all doctors are not equal, just like anything else, right? All counselors are not equal, you know? Um, but I think of, of Elder Randy, I think, you know... You know, it's getting harder and harder nowadays to actually find a professional medical doctor who loves the Lord, who's invested in the Lord's ways, who understands medicine through the lens of God's wisdom, not just from a secular approach, but has a much broader, wider worldview, and then also comes to serve you as a medical professional, not just from the textbook but it's praying for his patients, asking God for wisdom for that patient, for the application of, of what he's learned in terms of medicine for that patient. Yeah, give me those kind of doctors any day and every day. What, what an amazing thing. Each and every one of you, whatever you're doing in your life, ask God for wisdom in that area. And you'll excel in that area. You'll become better in that area, more successful in that area. And God will bless you and you'll touch a lot of lives. So God offers wisdom in a lot of different areas, every area, actually. And as a result, we, his people, can make a difference in the world that we live in. Let's talk about the gift of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith. This is really a beautiful gift, and it's certainly quite mysterious. This whole idea of having this assurance that God's going to do something and yet there's no evidence. But your, your knower, your deep in your heart, you know, that gift of faith that says, yes, this is what God's going to do. And you're able to say, yeah, he's going to do it. I can even proclaim it. I can share it. In fact, I'm going to act like it's already happened. You know, people look at you like you're kind of crazy. But I'm telling you, those kind of people I've watched over and over and over do amazing things and gain amazing things through that gift of faith. God says, it's the thing that pleases me. I want you to come to me, son. I want you to come to me, daughter. Not with all your complaints and gripes, right? I mean, come, of course, and share your hurts, right? But at a given point, I want you to come to me believing that I'm good, that I'm going to take care of you. And when you come believing that, I will move on your behalf. I will give you my favor, and I will bring about that which I've promised to you. Faith is the ability to believe God for something that you're hoping for. I think all of us understand hope. I'm not sure we all understand faith. But it's faith that moves the mountains, not hope. 
faith moves the mountains. So whatever it is you're hoping for is usually based in the fact that there's a mountain in your way, right? And you're hoping that that would move. Well, you've got to move beyond the hope. And you've got to get a hold of God and what he's saying and line up with that and ask him for what you need. And then move your mountain by faith. Again, faith is like a seed. It needs to be planted, cultivated, and released. Romans 10, 17. In fact, I want to go back. I'm sorry. Let's go to Romans 12, 3. Faith comes from God. Slide 27. Yes, there we go. It says, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Every one of us have faith. God has given to every person the ability to believe him. We all have that. We have that. Now, we can grow that up. We can increase that in our lives like any other gift. And that's Romans 10, 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Messiah. When we spend time in God's word and we meditate on it day in and day out, something happens inside of us. We begin to believe God and what he says he'll do. When I think of healing, it's amazing, you know, I remember uh, John Wimber, who had a, a really effective healing ministry. Um, at one of his seminars, someone was raising questions about healing and basically challenging him on almost every point and uh, becoming somewhat disruptive. And, and John Wimber said, look, this, this is what I want you to do. Uh, this, this is a very complicated matter. And uh, what I want you to do is I want you to go home between now and our next, um, they had a, 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 it was like a three-day seminar. So I want you to go home, and I want you to look up um, every healing passage that's in the Bible. They had like a, a full list of those. So I want you to go home, look them all up. I want you to read every one of those, every one of those. And after you read every one of those, then come back and we'll dialogue. And of course, you know, it didn't eliminate all the questions, of course, but it answered quite a few, right? And then he said, to this person, I, I now want you to do something else for me, and then we'll talk again. He says, I want you to pray for 1,000 people who are sick. I want you to create a journal, and I want you to put in the information, name and date and so forth, and what, what they're sick with and so forth, and I want you to pray for 1,000 people for their healing. And then after you do that, come back and we'll talk. And of course, the amazing story ends with uh, what happens f- with most of us, and that is, as we spend time looking at God and what he's saying about health and healing, things shift and change in us. We begin to say, oh, I think God is a healer. I think God does heal. God does want us whole. And our faith begins to grow. And as we pray for people, right, at a given point, someone gets healed. And then what happens to us? that seed of faith grows even bigger. And by the time it's all done, we usually come back and we're no longer the skeptics we used to be. But rather, we're full of faith and ready to pray for people around us, believing that God is in our midst and that he's a healer. That's so important. So important. So, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. Spend time with God's word. Meditate on it. Choose to believe it. Embrace it and walk in it. Don't walk according to your circumstances. Walk in accordance with God's 
word. It will bring transformation. Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Transformation comes by renewing the mind. Change the way you think. The way you think about all the different things in your life predetermines the outcome, your emotional responses, the quality of your life experience. You got to line up with God's word. Whatever you're struggling with, God, what is that all about? Why do I view it the way I view it? How do you view it? And then read some more and worship some more. You invite God into those places. Spend time in his word. It'll change the way you think about things. It'll renew your mind, which results in a different way of living, changes your behavior. Your patterns of thought change your, changes your patterns of behavior. Next thing you know is you're living in a measure of liberty and freedom that you didn't even imagine existed. He is the great liberator. And that liberation comes through an encounter with truth, an embrace of the truth, a walking out the truth. When we do that, our hearts are set free and our lives are changed. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. The world is dark. It's cruel. It is a, it a, it is a place that has many, many traps. How are we going to make it through? How will we ever overcome it's so complicated. We're going to do that through the wisdom of God. He's going to navigate us through all that. We're going to rise to the top. We're going to be the overcomers. Yeah, God has, has predetermined that we would be successful, liberated, and, and, and light beings that would bring blessings to all those around us. And how do we do that? Through faith in Him. Think of the COVID shutdowns. And I'll tell you what, a whole bunch of churches went down during those shutdowns. They didn't make it. We went through the mill. We lost a lot of people. We, too, shut down at two different times. And then we dropped down all the way to about 80 people, lost most of our finances, and at an all-time low, our staff members had to go out and look for other employment. They did that for months. It got worse. I thought to myself, I'm not sure we're going to pull through this one. We've been through a lot in the past. I'm not sure if we're going to make it this time. But deep down inside, deep down inside, it was like someone was saying, he's always been faithful. He has always seen you through. You know, just hold on, just hold on. And I'm telling you, even my faith was at an all-time low, like a flickering candle struggling to stay alive or stay, to stay lit. On April 25th, 2022, Shavuot was coming. We had no money to celebrate this event. Our finances were wiped out, and we'd spent the little that we had on Passover. We had nothing. And staff morale was like in the pits. It's like, what are we going to do? It's like, just shut the whole thing down. This thing's gotten so bad, right? It's just so discouraging. And I sensed that God was saying to me, you know, and I've been sensing this for this last year, you know, God's saying, hey, you know, because I've asked him for money, and, and, and it's like God says, you know, 
don't ask me. And I'm thinking, what? Don't ask you. you. Your word says to ask. You have not because you ask not. God says, no, 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 no. I want you to ask. Just don't ask me. Ask my people. I thought, what? Since God's saying, yeah, ask my people. I'll touch their hearts and they'll give you what you need. I, I texted that day. I texted one of our funders to ask for money. And I felt really bad because this funder already gave us a bunch of money for the previous one. But I thought, you know, ask not, and you have not. So I just, but I texted, because I couldn't call. <laughs> so I texted, you know, hey, have any extra money? Yeah, within minutes, within minutes, he texted back, I got $4,500 for your event. Is that going to work for you? About fell over. I about fell over. I thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing, right? I mean, in minutes, the problem was solved. Dead in the water, no money, no Shavuot, and in two minutes, we had all the money we needed to do the Shavuot we wanted to do. It was amazing. Yeah, praise God. And then two significant gifts came in and rescued us from our probable final shutdown. Going down, down, down. We're going to lose staff members, and then we're just going to have to shut it down. It was so bad, right? <clears throat> so this little flicker of hope came with Shavuot. And then right on the heels of that, two significant gifts came in. On April 30th, a longtime supporter sent us a check out of the blue, $70,000. Yeah, I remember. I remember when we saw that in the office that day. No one could believe it. We're like running around. Showing, showing. It was like we could just have to kind of keep going like that, you know. Is it a mistake? You know, don't call. Just cash it, you know. <laughs> if the decibel's in the wrong place. Doesn't matter. Cash it now, you know. <laughs> Seven days later, another member wrote us a check for $89,000. I'll never forget that day. Never forget that day. It was 89 degrees outside. Yeah, because it was so hot. So I said, how? I said, man, it's hot in here because our, our, our swamp coolers don't work after the, I think you go above 85 and they don't push nothing except what's outside. So typically what's outside is inside. So I said, you know, what was the temperature outside? I asked Pastor Chris. He said, 89. I said, what about inside the sanctuary? He says, 89. It's 89 outside and it's 89 inside. I said, how many adults do we have here today? He said, 89. He says, he, he counted them. We got 89. So it's 89 degrees outside, 89 inside, 89 adults in attendance, and an $89,000 check. I'm thinking, man, what's up with 89? You know, it's a good number, right? So... Uh, later in the office, I was sitting there thinking, huh, this is interesting. I thought, what is 89 times 4? 89 outside, 89 inside, 89 adults, $89,000 special offering. What is 89 times 4? What's well, 356? So I asked Pastor Chris, add up all of our accounts, our savings account, checking account, emergency fund, building fund, all of our accounts, add them all up. What is the total? He added them all up. It was $356,000 plus a few others. But rounded, $356,000. I just thought, where does this end? It was such an amazing thrill just to laugh and to feel the, 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 the support of our God saying, I'm going to see you through. The harvest is not going to die. The harvest is going to rise. 
And it was such a, such an enormous blessing. So I say all that to say this. What about you? What are your needs? What do you need from God? He has unlimited resources. Let your faith arise. Believe God for whatever you need. I can give you story after story after story of God providing for us over and over again. But we had to ask him, we had to believe, and we had to persevere and wait. And he has always come through. What do you need? I want you to write that down today. I want you to bring that before the Father today. I want you to tell the Father, this is what I need, Abba. This is what I need. Give me faith to believe you for that. In fact, I choose to believe you for what I need. Because I know you're a good God. I know you love me. I know you're going to give me what I need. I want you to do that. I want you to pray over that. And I want you to get ready to receive from God what you need. 1 Corinthians 14.1 Passionately seek the gifts of the Spirit. That's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to spend time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to look at these gifts, study the gifts, and I want you to start to seek the gifts. Seek the gifts. Find gifts you don't have, and if you want those, ask the Father for those. Believe God for those. Persevere and wait on God for those. He's a good giver. And find the gifts you already have and learn how to release those in your life. Especially wisdom. James 1.5 Now if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. Stand with me. If you want more wisdom, if you want more wisdom, I want you to raise your hand and hold it up. Raise your hand and hold it up. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to believe God for this. God is thrilled with your heart for his wisdom. So we say, Father, come in Jesus' name. We lift our hands towards you. We want your wisdom. We proclaim and declare that your wisdom is good, it's beautiful, it's life-giving, and we need it, Lord God. So come and pour out the gift of wisdom in our hearts, in our lives, for our families, our marriages, for raising kids, for our businesses, for our finances, for our nation, for everything that we do in our lives every day. Give us your wisdom. Release that to us today. In fact, I say, wisdom, come in Jesus' name. And invade our hearts and minds. Fill us up that we would glorify Jesus in everything we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen.